This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Try to play on the show. show, show, show. It is Danny and Gallant. Seattle Mariners in New York play the second of their four games tonight, and then they'll have two day games before concluding that series and coming back to Seattle. And last night's game came down to a difference of bullpens and really a matter of feet. Not quite inches, but feet. A three-run homer that Joey Gallo hit off of Seattle reliever Paul Seawald, and a potential three-run homer that turned into a fly ball. Mitch Hanniger, and it wasn't yeah. that deep. I don't know if that gets out if he's a left-handed hitter. but Still warning track. It's still different different dimensions in, in that ballpark, and I found myself coming away. A, I was reminded of how obnoxious Yankee, Yankee fans are and the entitlement that seeps out of their every single pore. And also that Seattle is a viable wildcard contender. This isn't some accident, and I'm not expecting them to turn into a pumpkin at midnight. And all of a sudden, I, I wouldn't say they're favored. And I don't expect them to get into the playoffs. They're the team that has sort of kept its eye on more long-term additions. But this is a competitive, tough team. And we shouldn't be surprised that they're standing toe-to-toe with the Yankees. Yeah, the resilience that they have shown this season, it really is striking. And, you know, it's one loss. We'll see how the rest of this series against the Yankees goes. I do feel that they need to, at the very least, split it. And it's a shame that they lost last night because last night did feel like an opportunity, especially with the way that Aroldis Chapman came into that game in the ninth inning. I mean, that guy looks like a shell of himself, and he is highly paid, Danny, considering what he has not been bringing to the Yankees for, honestly, a couple of weeks now. He is atop the list of sort of sticky suspects. Mm. I, I think when we talk about different guys who's whose effectiveness has been profoundly affected since the Major League Baseball began its enforcement. Um, Garrett Cole is someone we've seen it. He's he's had some good starts, too. Y- you, can, you can see some of the different pitchers. Chapman's probably the most prominent. I mean, he's got an ERA that, that is up there. And it's important not for this series or for this season for the Mariners. But I think it's an important question to ask going forward when it comes to how you build a team, which is how much money do you allot for your closer? How, 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 much of a, how much of a bedrock piece of equipment do you see a closer as, and what's the value of that position? Chapman is overpaid right now, and I think this mm-hmm. is a reminder that if you were to operate in the smartest, most practical way you possibly can for the long term, moving Kendall Graveman to get Abraham Toro was the right move as opposed to letting Graveman get to free agency then potentially have to negotiate with him. I don't know if Graveman is going to get the kind of deal that Aroldis Chapman got, but Aroldis Chapman got three years and $48 million. You know, that's a lot of money. And if you compare it to some of the other closers, too, that are making a lot of money these days, it's an expensive position. And it's weird that it's as expensive as it is because it feels like anyone who is getting signed to a contract, once they get into their 30s, the returns are not great. And I, I would point to, I, I asked our baseball consigliere, Luke Arkins, last night, so who are the best closers probably in baseball these days? And he brought up Kenley Jansen and, mm-hmm. and, and Craig Kembrell and Zach Britton. Zach Britton's ERA this year, who also in the Yankees' bullpen, is, is 6.35. So he has been good in the recent past. Craig Kembrell 
was awesome, uh, has been awesome this year, but 2019 and 2020, after he signed a Cubs deal, three years and $43 million, he was shaky those two seasons. And Kenley Jansen, who signed a five-year, $80 million deal with L.A. when he was 29 in, 2021, or in 2017, his ERA has been three every single year since 2017. It's been three-plus. So it's a position where you really have a difficult time, I think, predicting the future of. And I think that it's a reminder that, hey, if you put too much into your bullpen and it's not working, it is – I think the reason that the Yankees are where they are right now, they have two great closers or relievers in principle or in theory. And right now those relievers have not been anywhere close to what they usually have been in over the course of their careers. Bullpens are fickle. I think that's a cardinal rule of, of baseball. And I think teams have reacted to this, but bullpens are fickle like year to year signing, especially a reliever that is had a, a better season coming off one of his better seasons, you're being foolish if you expect him to replicate that. Because yeah, most, of the, most of the things show you that bullpens fluctuate. Fernando Rodney might be one of the best examples of this, of he's lost his closer position for multiple teams, and he's come back and been a closer with other teams. He fluctuates. There were some years he was an all-star, and there were some years where he drove the fan base nuts, and he did both of those here in Seattle. He did both of those things here in Seattle. That, and, and if you have something like that, you're probably better off not sinking too much into it, right? Because the the guys that you should spend the most money on are the guys whose performance you can anticipate the clearest, who you have the clearest forecast of of how they're going to play. So if it's a, if it's a closer, and Aroldis Chapman's career is a weird one because he started his first major league experience was in Cincinnati. He's traded to the Yankees in the year he's going to become a free agent. That year is one of the only times the Yankees, I can ever remember, selling off rentals. And they ended up trading Chapman to the Cubs, right? And then yeah. re-signing him the following offseason. So I don't think Chapman is an example of, hey, you get your closer and you put him in place. I think I tend to think the bullpen is the last thing you build, and you put it together by stacking up a bunch of high-velocity arms. And it, it seems like that's what the Mariners are doing. And I, I think viewed through that lens, the trade of Kendall Graveman makes a ton more sense if if he was if he was someone they didn't expect to 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 resign in free agency well the anger you had when he was traded you would have the same anger when he ended yeah. up going somewhere else as a free agent right you just went through it a little bit sooner right exactly and i mean what do you get in return for that some sort of compensatory pick of sorts but i mean ultimately what's that what's that really going to get you nothing in the short term nothing that's going to be able to come up with your young players that you're expecting to join jared kelnick in the major leagues in the coming years whether it's noel v Marte, who i think had three home runs the other day um 19 years old mm, that's that's gonna be exciting with uh, the modesto nuts or uh you know julio rodriguez who we've seen at the olympics hitting i think he was hitting 500 at one point a couple of days ago, which was, I think, tied for tops in the Olympics, which is awesome for the Dominican Republic. So, yeah, you want to have, have someone who can help you out now, and Abraham Toro can help you out now, and he, he continues to produce for this team. Let's get back to the game that was played last night. And okay. the Yankees are getting the benefit of one of the rentals that have been moved within yeah. the division, right? We've seen the other teams that are in this chase. I guess Jose Barrios isn't specifically a rental. He's someone who is... He's got another year left on his contract, but he was acquired by Toronto. You have Rizzo and Gallo that were acquired by the Yankees. 
you've seen other teams gear up in this chase to try and add to what they have. But the the the, the A's made a significant uh, addition. I always screw it up and say it's Starling Castro, but it's Starling Marte who who they acquired. That they they've made all those teams have made improvements for this push. I think the Mariners are better. But they're better in a different way, right? They're better with more of an eye toward the long term. They're better because, hey, they didn't just get Abraham Toro and Diego Castillo for this push. They got those guys with an eye toward what they will contribute down the road. I think that lessens some of the pressure, honestly, yeah. that's, that's on this team because it's you're kind of in the point of if they don't end up making the playoffs, well, that's not as heartbreaking because you haven't. You haven't bet that much on that one-time outcome of, of this playoff push, but still, it was it was a bummer, and I, I will admit that that home run got me and reminded me of how just annoying Yankee fans are. Let's hear it from two different perspectives. First, okay. let's hear Joey Gallo's home run as it sounded here in, in Seattle. It's the seventh inning. The Mariners have turned the game over to their bullpen. Here is it, Paul Seawald's on the mound, been one of the Mariners' better relief pitchers over the course of this season. Here's what it sounded like to us. Runners at the corners. Listen to this crowd. The 1-0 pitch to Gallo. Breaking ball. Swung on. Head high. Deep right field. Hanniger giving chase in the corner. Reach it up. Can't get it. Almost the same place where Kelnick hit his home run. This a three-run shot in the Yankees are back in front five to three mm. all right that's how it hand, hand sounded here in seattle then a little bit of wind being taken out of the sails how it sounded in new york was a whole lot more obnoxious and and as it happened i was reminded why i firmly have the yankees as the the most the most loathsome fan base in this entire country across all sports I'm I'm open to hearing suggestions from others about it, but the 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 entitlement, that feeling that you just you need to live up to the pinstripes that you've been placed in that seeps out of this call of Joey Gallo's home runs. You can just hear the obnoxiousness. High fly ball down the line. Hanager on the track at the wall. See ya. Joey Gallo signature Yankee moment. A three-run home run. His first blast as a Yankee, and it gives them a 5-3 lead. This is triggering years of Bostonian rage hearing Michael Kay's voice. I hate that call. See ya. Shut up. Ugh. They've got 27 titles. They get a new toy from daddy and believe that it's something that they're entitled to. And the question isn't, like, how good is this toy? The question is, does this toy live up to our standards? <laughs> Can Joey Gallo perform in the way in which someone in our toy chest we should expect to function? Is he it worthy is, oh. of our pinstripes? There is, and it, it comes out It comes out in different sports, too. Like, I used to always drive me nuts, and there was a specific associated press writer who would do this when the Seahawks played in New York. Like, they'd come there, and they'd kick the tar out of the Jets or beat on the Giants, and then it would be this, does, does, Richard, does it mean just a little bit more to do that here in New York? It's like, come on, man. This team won the Super Bowl by 35 points here. Have you guys not been paying attention? And by the also- way... Neither, neither one of the franchises that play here are all that good right now. And it was in New Jersey. That, that, <laughs> that part's East true. Rutherford, New Jersey, which is a dump. It is not in New York. Come on. It's the, the, that's where Tony Soprano takes his friends <laughs> to <laughs> take them to Belize. <laughs> I became a sports fan in the 80s. I was born in 1974. 
And so the '80s were a weird decade. It's probably the the, the Yankees' least impressive decade of baseball. Like you had Steinbrenner's getting in trouble because he's having investigators follow around Dave Winfield. They they go through Donnie Baseball doesn't get to win his World Series, which is somehow big tragedy to all of them. Like they weren't. It wasn't until the '90s came and you you experienced the specific sort of sense of entitlement that Yankee fans do have. And most of them come by it through virtue of having it handed down by parents or some sort of historical lineage. But it's still it's still awful. It's still obnoxious. I, I know what I'm going to feel like tonight when I hear it and this, this sense of all of these Yankee fans, we deserve this, that it's some sort of abomination that they've only won one World Series in the past 15 years, that that's, that's an unacceptable return on the amount of talent and of quality that's been invested in it. It's just nauseating. That's what's interesting to me the most is that, oh, it's unacceptable that there's only been one ring won in the last 15 years or so. However, at the same time, these Yankee fans are going to tell you 27 rings, 27 rings. How many were you alive for? Just be honest. How many were you actually alive for? Because I know most people my age, okay, they saw the ones when it was 97 or 96, 98, 99, and 2000. So you got five. Okay, like that's pretty good, but shut up. You know, this has not been the evil empire of old, and there is this nostalgia as if they still are, but they're really a lot like the Romans circa 400 AD or so, where all the other teams now, because of the luxury tax, are circling in, like the Visigoths and the Highlands and the Franks and stuff. What? Those are barbarian tribes that were uh, outside of Rome before uh, Rome fell in the uh, 400s. Are the Rays barbarians then? Are they one of yes. the barbarians? Oh yeah, yeah. They would they would be uh, whoever the cheapest barbarians are, uh, but most creative. That would be that would be the Rays. Are the does that make the Boston Red Sox the Greeks? Like what's rival to them? Because they're equally mm. loathsome. I think. I, I, I close think, to close to as loathsome. Uh, I, that's a that's a good question. I I don't know what Boston would be. I think the Dodgers are the Huns because they just have way more money than everybody, and they're sweeping through. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, my, my barbarian, I'm tapped out in barbarian knowledge right now. <laughs> Our training camp coverage here, Seahawks training camp, which resumes today out in Renton, is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. It is time for us to take a tour around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. No air horn. Hi, Bora. Yeah, What's up, Bora? Don't, don't strain yourself anymore, Paul. <laughs> I could do without. Hi, guys. I'm back. You are back. Welcome Once back. again, back is the incredible. Um, let's start with Sean McVay, Rams head coach, was on Doug Gottlieb yesterday, and he took a strong stance when asked about his new quarterback, Matt Stafford, playing in the preseason. There is zero chance you'll ever see Matthew Stafford take a snap in the preseason for the Rams as long as I'm the coach. That will never happen. So uh, he is not going to play. That's that's why it's important, Doug, for us to try to get competitive ops against some of these other teams in practice settings. Practicing against the Cowboys this Saturday. Yeah. We'll get the Raiders twice. So we're always looking for those things. But uh, until, uh, until you tell me that if a guy gets hurt in the preseason that we'll get those games back or they'll add them on the schedule afterwards as, uh, oh, yeah, you get uh, two games uh, because you lost those guys in the preseason season it's hard for me to uh, make sense of it honestly more teams are going this direction they all should especially with someone as injury prone as matt stafford i mean back injuries 
How about Russ? He's got a new offensive coordinator. I get well, that I know that Russ wants to play in these games. Would, so, should, should Seattle take this the same approach? Here's the tricky thing, and I, I know the Seahawks don't do joint practices. I'm a big believer in joint practices. I think that they they provide the opportunity for coaches to go through every single possible scenario in an actual kind of game-to-game situation, and they're not going to necessarily be as paranoid about revealing their hand to the world because it's going to be a televised game. I... I would tend towards no because generally, do we even see the real offense in those games? Do we? I, I, I would say we just see a lot of vanilla stuff generally, mm-hmm. both from de- from defenses and offenses. I, I think that training camp is where you're going to get the most reps done going into the year. Russ is a professional; he can do this, right? I mean, do, do you do you really need to have it in a game situation to be ready to go? Because I mean, last year, I mean, they didn't have any preseason games. Look how they it's looked true. out of the shoot. That's that, that that would be a very good argument for it. I know that Pete likes it, and I think that Russ likes it too. So it doesn't bother me that he's playing or will play. And I could see the value of you're going to have a new voice in your ear and Waldron's going to decide whether he wants to be on the field or up in the box. But I'll say this. What McVay says makes a lot of sense, especially after what we saw last year. And how much did it actually hurt teams to not have preseason games? I'm not convinced it was all that much. All right. We know uh, Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson have a bit of a history. They've had some disagreements. Last night on Fox's Hall of Fame broadcast, Jerry Jones said that Jimmy Johnson will go into the Cowboys ring of honor. Um, Listen for Jimmy Johnson's question at the end. This is pretty good. We are going to certainly be recognizing what's happening here with the Hall of Fame. Uh, but uh, Tex Ram, who started that ring of honor, said, Jerry, keep it, keep it kind of limited with people. But make sure it wasn't just about the plays they made. Make sure they contributed to the story of the franchise. Now, it's kind of hard to not recognize <laughs> This contribution to the story of the franchise. No doubt. So are we making an announcement here? Well, we can be. If we can, I don't know how we're going to upstate. No, yeah, you can. Go ahead. Make the announcement. But we'll be in the ring of honor. There we go. go. Love it. You heard it here. It will be there. While I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy's the best. You know, I have found it. Screw that up. Yeah, it's amazing. Ego. It's all about ego. And I can imagine that Jerry Jones thought that he gave Jimmy Johnson the opportunity of a lifetime. But Jimmy Johnson, I mean, wherever he would have gone, I think he would have been able to have some similar success. His stint both at Miami and with the Cowboys, it's an incredible, incredible run. I mean, Pete Carroll, it's only comparable to Pete Carroll. Like, as far as coaches across all sports, it's just those two. I mean... What they were able to do, just establish dynasties in college football. And and I, I know to an extent it had already been started with Howard Schnellenberger at Miami. But Jimmy's was different. Jim, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy did something fundamentally different at Miami. Pete's lasted longer at both spots. You give Jimmy Johnson. Whose coaching career is more impressive? Jimmy wins two Super Bowls. but And he, and he has a third that's there. But it's not his, right? Like Switzer won yeah. it, but I think most of us realize that, that like that's Jimmy's probably team. two two and a two and a half for Jimmy. He didn't last as long at either stop. If if Pete 
if Pete wins another Super Bowl, does he surpass Jimmy Johnson in terms of career, Ooh. coaching career? Two Super Bowls. Two and he'll have been to national, a third. Right. How, what, what, what's the official count for Pete Carroll when it comes to national championships? It's two, right? Like yeah. we're not we're not we're not, we're not we're not we're not taking we're not taking any away from them. They win two. Okay. So if that's the case, then Yeah, because of the longevity. Because Pete was able to make it work for a longer period of time. Jimmy had the, the period afterwards with, with, with the Miami Dolphins that didn't work out so well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you necessarily hold that against him, but it is the last thing that it's, we saw. It's, it's not more it. impressive. His run in Miami is not more impressive than what Pete Carroll did with the Patriots. Yeah, what Pete I mean, did Pete, in New England I thought was good. I was surprised when they fired him, to be honest. You know, he makes I, the playoffs two of the three years. He, he inherited a better team than Jimmy had, but it's not like either one of them. I, I, I consider those, those stints about on par with each other. All right, last story here. We've got a former Seahawk, Jimmy Graham, saying that uh, his new quarterback, Justin Fields, reminds him a little bit of his old quarterback. Man, he wants to be good, you know, and he wants to be great. Man, he puts in the work. You know, his uh, the guy really, you know, really, really can throw the ball. You know, that's been impressive to see his arm strength. The ability to, you know, to make plays um, while you're running, I think, you know, he's going to have um, – you know, it's it, it's been impressive to see him so young, so focused. Um, you know, and I can tell. You know, it it definitely reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson. Man, that is high praise. I mean, right? I mean, that's a guy he's friends with too, in, in Jimmy Graham. I mean, he's at Russell's wedding, right? Yes. It is high praise. That's an awful lot to put on a young guy. We'll see. I don't think you, I don't think I don't think you can know that. I don't think you can know that before you see a player lead him lead his team back from a fourth quarter deficit if, in an NFL game. If you're a player though, maybe it's in your best interest to say things like this publicly so that you don't Absolutely. have Andy Dalton out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think of that. Yeah. He's he's technically lobbying for Yeah. I can see that. It's also I in mean, your best interest to suck up to the guy that might be throwing you the ball. No offense to Andy Dalton, but who in that locker room wants Andy Dalton to start for them this year? You know, everyone, I think, in the NFL knows what Andy Dalton is. And, it's, and Andy Dalton, you know, we saw him last year. He wasn't good. So turkey there's that. Bacon. Yeah, he looked like turkey bacon. You know? That's one of the greatest nicknames ever that Ryan Clark came up with. Yeah, but it's it's accurate. And you can't know how good it, Justin Fields is going to be before you see him in a game, though. Like, whatever whatever Jimmy is saying, he's saying that to make the kid feel better about himself. You can't well, know. You cannot maybe. know. But whatever, whatever the case, yes, I, I, you're, you're right. He does not know, no doubt about it. But I would imagine there's a lot of dynamics in that, in that Bears locker room that are like, let's go to Justin Fields. Let's stop wasting our time. Let's get to the future right now. It is Danny and Gallant coming up next. We found out a little bit more information about Richard Sherman yesterday, and it's an important opportunity to to provide a note for anybody and and kind of a, a caution about any any feelings. That, that you might have. We're, we're going to address what we know about Richard and really use it as an opportunity to send a message. That's coming up next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. One of the... I, I, it's a sad story. It's a dangerous story, but the following what had happened with with Richard Sherman and then the concern afterward for for his well being, we learned after the 
incident in which Richard Sherman was suspected and then charged for drunk driving and then arrested at the site of his in-laws home um, on the on Seattle's east side, we learned that there had been an, an emergency protective order um, that had been granted to so he would not possess firearms. We learned a little bit more about and information was released regarding the reason for that. And I just want to say it 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 scared me mostly just for concern out of out of Richard's health but I also also thought there's there's an opportunity to talk about this here because what what we learned happened is that several friends had reached out or several of his his close associates had reached out to the police saying that over the previous year that Richard had had texted or communicated them about thoughts of taking his own life and specifically with a gun and then he had purchased a, a firearm and he was waiting the 10 day mandatory waiting period and the police ended up going to that gun shop and picking up that gun before he got it and as part of a protective order to prevent um, him from owning a firearm after after knowing that he would made those threats um, my first reaction was gratitude that he was I want, I think everybody wants and loves Richard Sherman and, and what he's brought and the idea that he's in that much emotional distress or feeling that way and preventing him from, from fo- following through or being able to, to go through it to, to, to protect him from, from, from himself. I was grateful for that, but I also thought it was an opportunity, Paul, to say that, hey, those those things are, are very scary. And if you're feeling that way, it's... It's a direct sign that you need to reach out and talk to people for help. You do. Uh, shout out to whoever saw the signs, too, and made the difficult decision, I'm sure, to tell somebody else. Because that also isn't easy. Because I think sometimes we want people to deal with things on their own. But sometimes you just have a feeling. And that feeling that you have, maybe it ends up, you know, harming a relationship. But ultimately, you want that person to be well. And, and I, so that, just from the first part, whoever did that, uh, that is brave and, and, and smart by you to do. When it, when it comes to Richard, you're, you're, you're right. And, you know, I, I, I think we all know someone who's, taken their own life or known someone who has known someone. And I can't even imagine what it must feel like to go through that, to have that feeling where there is nothing that is going to get any better for me. So that is it. And I mean, I'll be honest, like, you know, I've, I've had thoughts like this from time to time. And and then I shake myself out of them and say like, Paul, you have so many things to be thankful for. What are, what's wrong with you? And then sometimes that even kind of manifests itself into, you know, thinking more along those lines. But when you do have something, you're exactly right, Danny. This is if these thoughts are going through your head, it's so important to tell other people about it. It really is because you, you those people they care so much about you, and there's going to be someone that wants to do anything that they possibly can to make sure that you are well. Having thoughts of harming yourself is a sign that there is a serious problem. Yeah. And, and, and it's not something to be ashamed of, but it's something that is important to recognize. 
having thoughts of harming yourself. Because when people talk about mental health, and I think we have a better understanding of it, and we've talked about it here. I, I have depression. Yeah. Um, I t- take medicine to, to treat depression. I have I called well. a suicide hotline before. I've never attempted suicide. Um, but I, I've called a hotline before because things have, have gone. But when you have those feelings of harming yourself or do something that actually harms yourself, this is a sign. This is a sign that you need to talk to someone, that something is wrong with you, that there is something that is, and it's dangerous. And that's, that's the thing that I, I, I would want to emphasize most. And whether it's calling a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255, or knowing that you need to reach out to someone else. And, and to, because there are people that care about you yeah. and there are steps that you take to feel better. That's the goal is to get you in a position to feel better that that issue that you're having that you can work past because it, it's thoughts or acts of harming yourself are a sign that things are, have, have gone wrong and that you need to seek help. And it's not enough to just say, okay, I'll be okay for a little bit, or I can hold out for a little bit more. It, it, it's it's a sign that you need. To, if you sprain your ankle or break your leg, you go to a doctor. You yep. don't sit there and say maybe this will fix itself. And and the the same thing should come up. And people will say like, oh, you don't you don't want to make it sound like oh man, there's something faulty with you that you no. have to be ashamed of, or that no one fe- anyone who feels that way is somewhat somehow flawed. But it's like if you feel that way. It means that something's gone wrong, and that is that is something that you need to address. It is your body; it should be a big flashing light saying to reach out and, and talk to someone. And I'll say just just quite simply, like what had triggered me to call the suicide prevention line was it was the the night before I'd ended up I was really agitated, and it ended up kind of hitting myself in the head like five or six times, and it's em, it's embarrassing to admit that, but. It's also, I share that just as a sign of, hey, these are the sort of things that when they happen, you need to acknowledge what's going on and understand that that should be a prompt for you to reach out to help for help. And whether it is calling a hotline or setting up a visit with a therapist or talk, you, you need to communicate what's going on in yourself because there are people that care about you. There are people you don't know that care about you and want to prevent that from happening. And it is possible and it is likely that you're going to get better. And the first step toward doing that is talking. And from my own personal experience on the other side of it, if you see someone that's acting differently or strangely, and you know that person and you know their personality, well, talk to them too. Mm -hmm. ask them what's going on. It's, hard it's difficult and sometimes that person might be evasive and if they are let them know that you care because those moments even if they're fleeting they are such low ones and I can't I still think about you know just the person that I know who who I don't 100% know whether or not it happened I, I, I like to think it wasn't this but this is somebody I live with, and, and, you know, I felt like there were times where I could have been kinder. I could have been nicer. I felt like I didn't do enough, I guess, in the days leading up to it to do something about it. And maybe I could have, maybe I couldn't have, but whatever the case, if you feel like something is up, talk to that person. And if you think that something is up with you as well, talk to somebody else. At the very least, it is a step in the right direction. There are so many people that care about you. 
I mean, that's, that's, that's the way this thing goes, and, and they don't want to lose you. They want you. They want to see you back on the right track, and we're hoping that Richard Sherman's going to be able to do that because, man, hearing those thoughts and, and, and things, you know, it happens to everybody, you know, even, even if your life is awesome. You're, you know, to, to everybody, happiness is a very difficult thing to have constantly, and um, hopefully Richard Sherman gets the help he needs. And that he's healthy. And, and yeah. moves along in that direction. And that's ultimately kind of what that's all about. Uh, it is Danny Gallant. We'll get back to talking about sports, but thought that was an, an opportunity to, to send a, a broader message about what that means. Um, it is Danny Gallant. Flags are next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. Okay, I got a flag. I can't believe that I'm... I can't wait to raise it. No, it's being thrown. I'm throwing it. Do it. I'm going to go first. What year is it? 2021. The year of our Lord. 2021. I want to read you. This is The Athletic, which is a publication I generally really like. Generally really do. I want to, they, they ran a story today, and it says, O.J. Simpson, quote, prayed for fame, end quote, no matter the cost. For the first time in 12 years, he speaks on the record about the arc of his complicated legacy. Then there's a pull quote of O.J., over a picture of him standing with his back to the camera saying, quote, how many Americans, even today, wouldn't like to live my life? End quote. Oh O.J. Simpson God. reflecting on his NFL career. <clears throat> Come on! Really? Well, yeah, really. I mean, it gets clicks, doesn't it? You're throwing meat out. O.J. anything. Who still won't click on it? Who won't watch that show that they had on FX? Or the... 30 for 30 uh, that they had for ABC. It's, it's 30 for still... 30 is one of, one of the most fascinating things. Look, you're talking to someone who is 100%. I've read books about it. I think OJ is one of the most, I don't want to say meaningful because I'm not sure how meaningful it is, but I think it's one of the most interesting stories of, of my lifetime. The, the entire thing. You do not need to hear more from OJ Simpson about anything at this point. I mean, really, how can you, how can you trust him to tell the truth? Like, how, how can you, like, this is, a, he wrote a book that was going to be titled If I Did It. And ultimately, they didn't sell it because the publisher received such a backlash. Do you remember when he said, I'm going to go find the real killers? Like, all of these things. And then he says, how many Americans even today wouldn't like to live my life? End quote. To be hated by everyone? No, to have maybe killed to have that probably too. killed two people. I mean, that's... At the, at the core of it... Come on! Everyone, Sociopathic. Well, you oh, is the good with the bad? Come on! That, that's, that's not how it works. It's not a complicated <clears throat> legacy. It's not. Sociopathic, narcissistic. It's everything. Oh. It is everything there. But, I mean... This is what happens. People know that this is the well that will never run out of water. They will always be able to tell stories about this guy, especially when he signs his name to it. I mean, shoot, people still follow O.J. Simpson's tweets and, and, and act like they're a big deal. Well, every once in a while, O.J.'s got a point on there. <laughs> yeah. But that he does. He'll say some things that have a point. He will also occasionally make 
cracks or comments that are kind of sideways reference to the fact that he he may or may not have killed two people or was at the very least accused of it. Here's I I can see the validity and worth of nonfiction looks at OJ Simpson in his career. I have a really hard time understanding why anyone cares what he actually says about it anymore because there is 20 years more than 20 years now worth of lies self-promotional he had a reality show at one point like all of these things and to to have it come out in 2021 like oj finally speaks i was like okay i think we've gone beyond that part i I don't think there's oj there's not a shortage of oj quotes or comments on his quote complicated legacy like that we don't need anything more from oj you can make a book oh all the things that he has said since then actually you know what this this brings up another point i will have a long standing this got edited out i used to do these power rankings in the seattle times when i when i was the nfl columnist oh and and i i would have from time to time they would get edited and for the most part they were editors saving me from myself either being too wise or making mistakes or those sort of things. But there was one that I had. I said, if Ray Lewis wrote a book, would it be called If I Saw It? And that was all it said. I think that is a pitch-perfect mockery of the and of poking... And I'm not making fun of the murder or anything like that. I'm making fun of the person who was considered or accused, in Ray Lewis's case, not of killing the people, but of being there when it happened. And in OJ's case... And in both cases, they've both been allowed to, in some respect, go on and live their lives after that happened. They edited it out. I was of like, course. "No, man, that was that was good. That was that was, yeah, that was that was the comparison I wanted to make was him to the, the other dude." Yeah, uh, sorry about that, man. I no, I wasn't sorry. I mean, who really lost anything? I was just saying. I was like, censorship. I, it was val. It, it was it was a valid. It was a well placed barb. About mm-hmm. the ludicrousness of what we allow professional athletes to talk about after they get on, they 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 run afoul of the law. Mm. All right, Paul. Okay. Well, I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. Just like Indiana Jones hates snakes. I hate the Yankees. I hate their fans. I hate their stupid stadium. Although the stadium did help Jared Kelnick out a lot last night. I'm going to raise a flag at the end of today's show to Jared Kelnick. Because Jared Kelnick being able to do what he did on that sp- on that big stage, it is a big stage. You know, we might want to, we all roll our eyes at the sense of self that most baseball writers, most of whom I think came from New York or are Yankee fans, we all know that they're a very arrogant, annoying bunch. But there's no denying that Jared Kelnick hitting a home run at Yankee Stadium, it's a big deal, especially for him. To go two for three, drawing a walk in the ninth inning. I think this is a real big step forward for him. Is he going to be able to follow it up with another step? I don't know. But he's got to be riding sky high confidence-wise right now. And that's good. Really, that's that's what you want. You want confident Jared to be at this major league level. Things have been looking pretty good for him of late. And I'm excited to see if he's going to be able to do something like this again the rest of the series against the Yankees. I want to see Kelnick do it, too. I hope he does it tonight. You're going, right? I am. I'm going to fly the flag out there. We'll see what happens. You going to wear a teal? 
No, it's a gray. It's a it's a it's oh, an okay. Edgar jersey. It's a gray. Mariners oh, it's gray, but it's a, it's a jersey. See, yeah, remind them. Remind them of what happened. Because Edgar clubs New York. That's what he did. Mm-hmm. Edgar was a Edgar was a Yankee clobberer. Mora, what do we got? I'm gonna throw a flag. I I had I debated whether to throw or raise a flag for Russell Wilson and his evasive maneuvering when Aaron Levine asked him if the offseason speculation surrounding him was warranted, but. I'm going to throw a flag. Like, at least give some semblance of an answer. I, I think that, listen, it, it, I play professional sports, man. I, you know, the reality is, is that things change, you know, and all that. And, and I think that um, there, there's some calls going around this and that. And I think that the reality is, is that, um, you know, I, I've always wanted to be here. The press conference, he did that as well. I, that must be his, his crutch <laughs> word. The reality is. The reality the calls going is. going around this or that. I play sports. <laughs> it's just weird. It's a weird collection of non segators, right? It's not it's not actually complete thoughts. It's a word salad. Yeah, that cracked me up. Uh we'd like to thank Michael Bumpus for joining us today in the eight o'clock hour. Stone Forsyth and John Clayton were here in the opening hour. Maura Dooley is the one that thinks keeps things on track and running smoothly. He is Paul Gallant. He gets a gold star for playing hurt today. And somebody asked, how is Paul gonna make it through the ten o'clock hour? That's a great question. We're about to find out. <laughs> Stay tuned. The big question I have. Hey, when it comes to last night's game, does Jared Kelnick's success outweigh the sadness that you feel about the Mariners blowing a lead? We'll talk about that. Some things in the bullpen that I think became very clear watching the game last night. And on top of that, someone that needs to get the football a lot this coming season. <laughs> 